Now, we've been talking about being a friend of God. And being a friend, we discussed last week, is not something that you, you do um, on a casual basis, like, you know, well, I'll see you in the morning and then I'll see you at night. I mean, we can be a friend with our pet and we can be a friend with an animal that we go and feed in the morning and we can feed at night. God is not our pet and he's not our animal. He's a person who interacts with us. So living in friendship with Jesus is like an activity. It's like what you do. It's life. It's a lifestyle. It's a life being. It's, it's what we do continuously, living with Jesus. And in that living with Jesus, we have intimacy. We have a, develop a personal trust with Jesus. These are the elements of good friendship. These are the elements of what it is to be a good friend. In fact, if you look at these elements and you consider some of those people who you consider as being your dearest friends or the closest friends that you have. Sorry? Luke, yeah, but just hang on to there. Just stay in the book of Luke. That's, I'm coming to that. Um, so intimacy. If you look at your, your characteristics of, a, of a, somebody you consider a friend who's been a friend for some time, you'll find all of these things are there. You've, you, you're being able to have personal close trust with them. You'll, you'll, you'll keep, you keep crossing paths. Even if they go away for a long distance away, you keep in touch with them. You stay in touch with them. You, you keep talking to them because you know that's your friendship. You like being with them. You talk about the things that are, that are deep inside. You don't talk to everybody about those things, but you talk to your friend about those things. You disclose those things to your friend. And they talk to you and disclose things to you. This is the same way that it is with God. When God is our friend, we, we develop all of these elements in that relationship. And those elements are there in our relationship with God. If any of those elements are not there, you'll find that your relationship is short-lived. If some of those elements are not in that relationship, you'll have an acquaintance, but you won't have a deep friendship. You are, why did that friendship not last? Why did that relationship not last? Well, you'll find that that relationship didn't last because maybe you disclosed to them and you opened up your heart and said, this is what's real. And they, you know what? They said, oh, cool. And they didn't open up to you. And it was like, they distanced themselves from you. And all of a sudden you discovered what you thought was a close friend is not a close friend at all because it failed on the point of self-disclosure. They didn't want to disclose like you've disclosed to them. You've met people like that. You've been around people like that who drop it all in front of you and you think, you know what, I don't think I want to be close to that. And so you walk away from that. They're the marks of elements of friendship. So when we look at those things, we, we say, yeah, this is what a good friend looks like. And they, these things are present and active in our relationship with God. So when we're living in relationship with God, the Bible says we are having fellowship with him. It says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, and don't look it up because I've got it up there. It says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. This is John, he's speaking. He says, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his, with his Son, Jesus Christ. He says in verse 6, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live um, out the truth. And that's, that's the truth, you know. You, you can say that you are a friend of God, but in reality, if you live in the dark and not in the light, you are not a friend of God, even if you say you are a friend of God. I was talking to somebody this morning and we were talking about marks of... Um, 
religiosity, people think that they are somehow in tune with God, but you just have to look at their life and see what they're doing. And if they're walking on the wrong side of the line, if they're doing the wrong thing, you know that they're not friend to God because they're doing the wrong thing. And this is exactly what these last days is going to be like. In Second Timothy chapter 3, it says people will be lovers of themselves, proud and boastful and arrogant. They'll be lovers of pleasure, not lovers of God, lovers of all the other things. Having a form of godliness. They'll tell you they're a friend of God. He says, but they're not friends of God. They live somewhere else. And if you walk in the dark and not in the light, he says, you don't live by the truth. And uh, you're not a friend of God. He says in verse 7, it says, but if we walk in the light and he, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So if we live in the light, that only, it doesn't only just bring this beautiful sense of close fellowship with God and me, it brings this sense of ability to have fellowship with you. You know, if I'm walking in the light, then you know where I am. You know what's happening in my life. You can trust what's happening in my life. In fact, you can trust Jesus in me. If I'm living in the light and walking in the light, you know that when I go away, you know that I'll be doing things that are consistent with what Jesus would want me to do. You'll be living the life consistently with how Jesus will, and that produces within you a sense of well-being because you know you can trust me or you can trust Jesus in me and that I want to walk in the life. And when you go away from me and I don't see you again for a little while and I come across paths with you again, I'll know that you have been walking in the light with Jesus too because you live there, you're consistent there. And this is where we have this beautiful sense of fellowship, a connection with one another because we can trust one another in Jesus. Amen? That's the truth. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, he says, and Paul says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So he's, he's saying the thing. That he said, look, you should be a friend of God. You should be in fellowship with God. It's true, isn't it? We should be in fellowship with God. We're in fellowship with each other. We love one another. And we should love God with all of our hearts too. You know, there's intimacy with God. This fellowship is built on intimacy. And I'm going to go through some of these ideas again, and I want to highlight some of them again to you today. It's built on intimacy. This is what the Scripture says in Romans chapter 8, and we talked about it this morning. I think, uh, Michael, this is the Scripture that your dad was quoting. That He said, he says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, we do not know what we ought to pray but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. He, he, you know, he is that intimate with us. That the Holy Spirit can live within us. He, he's sitting within us and he knows what's happening inside of John's life. He understands where his mind is. He understands where his heart is. He knows where his strength is. He knows what his will is doing. He knows everything about the core of this man. And God is intimate with him. The Holy Spirit is in it. You can't hide anything from him. And you can't hide anything from the word of God. The, it, everything is laid bare before him. God sees it all. And God says, you know, I'm so intimate with you now. I'm going to now pray before the Father. And he groans with words and without words and he groans before God. Sometimes the heaviness in your heart that you feel is not you feeling heavy. It's the Holy Spirit who's just groaning to God saying, God, I'm interceding for this man now. 
I'm praying for this man now. It's the Holy Spirit who's right in there with you, right close to you, just pouring out himself. And you get this heaviness inside, like there's something happening inside. It's just like, oh, an ache inside. Well, that's a wordless groan. And guess what? It's God who's inside of you, praying to the Father, interceding for you. That's pretty close, isn't it? How amazing is that, that we'd have a friend who lives so close to us that when we're going through a hard time, he'd start to feel the weight of it. He, he would share in the feelings of it, and then he'd begin to groan to God and say, God, help the man. Wonderful. Imagine that, having a friend so close that every time you went, hit the hard time, he would start to groan and enter in there and start to lift you up before the Father. He's intimate. Boy, we have some beautiful things happening when Jesus is in us. Amen. He's intimate. The Bible says that he can see not just your words. He can see the thoughts and he can see the meditations of your heart. It says in uh, Psalm 19 verse 14, Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Everybody say the words of my mouth. Well, that's the things that come out of your lips. The words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart. Put your hand on your head. That's your meditations, and that's the things you have passions about. You know what? He's watching the meditations of your mind and your passions. He's watching, and he can see the things you're thinking when you're not speaking. I can't see them, but he's so close. He's so intimate. He can see what you're feeling. And David says, I know you can see what I'm feeling. I know you can see the meditations that I'm tumbling over in my mind. I know you can see them. And you know what? God, I want that to be clean between you and me. I want that to be clean between us. And he's saying, yeah, well, I'm the Holy Spirit here. I'm the, you know, I don't like what you just thought. Oh, then I want to change that. I want to take that thought away. And I want to put a new thought there because that meditation is not pleasing to you. Some of you may be sitting there and thinking, all right, you know, or you just go through life and just sort of stumble over this thing. Listen, this is a real one. How do you live every minute with Jesus? You live in the now. The now is not tomorrow and it's not yesterday. It is in the now. Right now. Everybody say now. That's right now you live with Jesus. And where does your thought and your meditation live? In, yeah, in your heart and it's right now. Because that's when you're doing the thinking and that's when you're doing the meditating right now. So if Jesus is living in the now and your thoughts and your meditation is living in the now, let them be happy living together. You know that you feel uncomfortable on the inside when you're thinking the wrong thing. When fear tumbles through your mind and you get this unrest on the inside that you're fearful about something that you don't need to be fearful about, and the Holy Spirit is saying, you know, don't be fearful about that. You know inside that God is stirring you up to change your meditation about fear into something that is more confident like boldness. You know, I'm stressed because I don't know where I'm going to get the next dollar from. I don't know where I'm going to get what's go- I've got bills I've got to pay and the stress. And, and he's saying to you, I see your meditation. Have some faith in me. I am your provider. I am your father who will provide for you and guess what it takes a shift on the inside because you have to live in the now with jesus say jesus i'm sorry for not trusting you i'm sorry for thinking that it's me that's got to earn the money to get the i'm sorry that i didn't pray god give us this day our daily bread 
It's the meditations of your heart. It's where Jesus lives. Right in the now with you. Right in the center, in the core of you. When you're going through the hard times, he groans. When you're going through difficult times, he, he looks. And he, when, you, when you start to wander, and you're thinking, he's watching. He's there. Where is he? He's in the core of you. He's in the center of you. Jesus is in the center of you, watching the meditations of your heart. Let them be acceptable in your sight because you're with me. It's like if I was saying to you everything that I was thinking, I wouldn't say some things. If you could see what I was thinking because I had a little TV screen on my head and you could see it playing, I wouldn't, I'd make sure you couldn't th- see what I was thinking. Eh? I'd change it because it would be, it, God sees it all. He knows it all. So it's pretty intimate. And you know, the wonderful thing about having Jesus inside of you and having him aware of what's going on and, and, and walking with him in fellowship and, and knowing that he's speaking to you the whole time, that he cares about what's happening to you. He's not distant. I mean, we, sometimes we think that God is so far in the heavens that he can't have any relationship. We look to the heavens, where is our help coming from? It's coming from, well, you know, I, that was Old Testament and they looked up there, yeah, but you know, in the New Testament, here it is now, Jesus is, I look to the Lord who lives within I look to the Word of God, and I put the Word of God in my heart. I hide the Word in my heart. There my strength is in the Word that is within me, the Word that Jesus lives within me, you know. And he responds. The Bible says, he's, the Lord is near, or he hears the desires of the afflicted and encourages you. He listens to their cries. So he's that close, he can hear. So when Martina is going through some difficult time in her life, and she starts to cry out. Her heart is heavy and she starts crying out to God. And he is close there, right there. It's not like no one's here. I mean, that's a wrong meditation because Jesus says, I will never leave you nor will I ever forsake you. Where you may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I shall not fear what man shall do unto him. He is constantly there. It says... In John chapter 14, verse 26, when he said, I don't want to leave you as orphans. And, and, and Jerome was talking about that today. When he said, I'm going to go away, he says, but I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's the comforter. He says, the Holy Spirit, he's the helper. So he cares. He's near you and he's there to help you. And he speaks into you. He says, he's the, he, I will send you the helper, the, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. And he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that, that I've said to you. So this is how close to Jesus is. He comes by his Holy Spirit and he lives within us. We ask him to come and live into our hearts. So the Bible says we are sealed with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. And now he's present there. Expect to hear him speak to you. So when you're going through some difficult time and you're hanging out and you're calling out to God, you expect to hear him speak to you. Now, he may speak to you in emotions. He may speak to you in just feelings. You might get an uncomfortable, restless feeling on the inside when you're about to do something that you know is wrong. That comfortable, unrestful feeling, that sense of don't do that, is not nothing. It's God speaking to you by his Holy Spirit and saying, hey, 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 stop, 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 stop. Warning, warning, warning. Problems approaching. Now, if you learn to listen to him when he speaks to you through that gut level feeling of, ah, don't do that. You lose your peace if you do that. That's dangerous. That's sinful. Don't do that. If you learn to listen to that, he will keep you from harm. He will keep you in a path that does not lead into temptation. He will keep you from sin. Listen, he is there He knows what's happening. He's near you and he is speaking to you. 
All the time, every day. You wake up in the middle of the night, you don't think anybody else can see it. Your mind begins to wonder, he is there. He's right there. You get up in the morning and you get going. You don't talk to your wife real nice and he says, get down and you just say sorry to your lady now. She should be nice to her. She's been, uh, he's there. This you think it's just me. You see, that's where you lost it every time. It's not just you. It's Jesus. He comes to live with us. He comes to speak with us. The Holy Spirit lives within us and he teaches us and reminds us those things that we need to remember in God. In Hebrews chapter 4, it actually tells us that he, he cares. I mean, that's responsiveness. You think about friendship is somebody who cares about what's happening to me. You know, you're not going to worry too much about a person who, when you come and pour yourself out to them and tell, oh, this is, you know, this is the thing that's happened to me. I, I lost my cat, I lost my dog, and I lost my budgie. You know, and the person says, oh, that's good riddance. I hate dogs, cats, and budgies. You know, you think, okay. You know, you look at your friendship and think, you know, this guy is not even caring about me. He's not in touch with my grief about losing my cat, my dog, and my budgies. You know, he's not being responsive to my needs. And so you'd start to question his loyalty, wouldn't you? Unless he had hay fever and hated budgies. See, Jesus is not like a friend who doesn't care. It says here, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He understands. He, he feels that. Jesus felt every pang and every th- frustration. He was hungry, hungry, hungry after his fasting. But he didn't resort to co- following and, and being controlled by those emotions. But he understands those emotions of hunger and pain, uh, hunger pains and stuff like that. He, he was tempted at all points, but without sin. He says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time. So he is responsive to our needs and he cares about it and we can come boldly to him. We have access to him. Well, that's a good thing, isn't it? I remember as a kid and you needed something from your mum and you felt you could walk to who your mum and, and say, mum, mum, I need such and such. Or you went to your dad and you say, dad, dad, can I have $5 I've got to do such and such? You know, family problems start happening around there. You go to mum and she says, get out of my way. Oh, yeah, kids, I hate you. And you don't, you know, all of a sudden you start thinking, I can't approach mum with problems. I've got problems, especially when you get to the adolescent years, you know, adolescent problems. Parents, listen to this. When you get to adolescence, sometimes talking or disclosing what you're going through is kind of scary, especially if it's an adult. So you've got to find an adult that you can trust. And the adults that you can trust are usually your mum and dad, aren't they? But if you learn that your mum and dad don't want to hear what you're going through when you're an adolescent, don't want to listen to the stuff that you're going through, hmm, that could cut off a whole lot of communication. And I might then go to my peers and talk to my peers about that. Or that would be a bit of a problem too if the peers didn't think the same way as Jesus thought, wouldn't it? They may say, just do it. Just do it. Everybody does it. Whereas your mum would say, don't do it. Don't do it. So being responsive, listening, and being there to help is really important. God models it for us. We can model it for other people. We can do it to other people. Let, learn to listen to them without judgment. Listen to them. Let them speak to us so the communications are there. 
He is there for us. He's there to help and we can come boldly to him. He shows us how to do that. And Jeremiah tells us that he reveals things to us. You know, God has our best interests at heart. I mean, it's great to walk with him in fellowship because, you know, I like walking with somebody who's got my best interests at heart. You know? Because then when I get in a situation, they're going to say, oh, you want to do that. They'll give me good advice to keep me from bad things. Whereas somebody who doesn't care about me would not say anything. I just keep my mouth shut. If it, just do what you have to do. But a person who really... I remember when I was growing up, my kids, you know, Nathan... Uh, Nathan and I used to have big blues, didn't we? When we were teenage years, grade 12, around about, well, not really big blues, but we had arguments, you know. And of course, we had arguments because he was an adult now. He's in grade 12. Was it like a punch up? What was it? Well, no, no, well, not really. He, no, I said, you want to go that way, you know? And I was a bit bigger. He didn't want to ever go that way. He would punch the wall instead or something like that. But anyway, listen, we would talk. And one of the things that we would do when we would talk. The, my last court of appeal when we came to discussion, because he's a very intelligent man, my son, he could argue very well. I mean, and that's the point. When you're in grade 12, you've got to learn to argue very well. And then you, you, you can't just say, you're doing because I said so. It just doesn't wash with a grade 12-year-old. I mean, it's like, um, let me explain something to you, Dad. I have a brain. Don't insult my intelligence. Let me discuss this with you. So we had to sit down there, and Nathan doesn't know what I'm going to say. But anyway, this is the last court of appeal. This is my last court of appeal. I said, I love you. I love you. You know, I care about what you're doing. And if no one else will stand in front of you to stop you, I will because God's given me that responsibility to stand in front of you and stop you. And I can't do not any, any I have to stand here and say, I can't let you do that because I love you. That was the bottom line. It was the bottom line. I'm dad, and I don't, I'm not forcing you. You can make a choice, but I care about you enough to stand there and say, stop. All his mates, they, their mum and dads wouldn't stop him. They'd do whatever you want. Here's the money to do it. But I'm not one of them. I'm one who wants to stand. I care, you know. And so when you I got his best interests at heart. I care about where he's going. I worry about what's going to happen to him. I think about the way the devil's out there waiting to destroy him. And I, and I get, oh, mate, I remember when, when Jay, Renee was laying on there and I just felt driving away and I think the devil's in her head, twisting her mind around. I stopped and I come back and I walked into her bedroom. She's still in bed, sleeping in bed. I go, wake up, Renee. Well, she's, I'm there. Honey, I was just driving out and God told me the devil's in your head, stirring you up, making you angry with the family like you want to rebel. She says, yes, that's it. I said, you've got to tell that devil to get out of your mind. You've got to tell him to get away from what you're thinking. I said, he's going to take you out. Remember that day, Jen? I sat down there and she said, yeah, okay. And we prayed and she prayed, Jesus, get this thing out of me. And it left her like that. But before that, we were struggling all the time. We were fighting all the time. She was wrestling all the time. And God said, do something. Stand in the way. Because I've got a best interest in heart. God's got our best interest in heart. That's why he confronts us. That's why he stands in our way. That's why he stops us. That's why he says, you can't go there. You feel all this stuff inside us because he cares enough. He cares enough to stop you. Isaiah says, For I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, like to give you a future and a hope. He is there. He reveals the future to us and says, I care about you. 
You know, in Isaiah, in chapter 43, it says, Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. You know, God is so passionate. He says, let me make a way for you. This is our friend. This is the one who lives within us. He says, you've got some bad stuff. I know you've got some bad. Forget it. Just put the bad stuff out of your head. Because I've forgiven you. You've forgiven them. Let's just put that bad stuff out. I've got a future for you. And I know it looks rough at the moment. But I'm going to cut that down for you. And make a smooth road for you. So that you can walk on a smooth ground. I'm going to make a way for you. Because I care about you. He is so revealing to us. He is caring about us. Oh, isn't it great to have Jesus as our friend? Isn't it fantastic to be a, 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 have a friendship like Jesus in our lives, hey? In, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 to 10, he says, But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Whoa, you can't even imagine it. You can't, you can't imagine to see what God has prepared for you. He says, and then he says, the things that God has prepared for you, but God has revealed to it through us, through his spirit. So he said, you know what? He, he is coming to us and saying, Hey, I'm going to tell you some secrets. This is what I've got planned for you. You think, oh, I call it cheating. It's, it's just what we do. I don't know what's going to happen. Okay, Holy Spirit, you know everything. You know the beginning from the end. You know the future. You know exactly what's going to happen. And I say, what's going to happen, Jesus? You tell me what's going to happen. And I cheat. And he says, this is what's going to happen. Ah, I feel peace about that. I feel calm about that. A sense of, yes, that's right. And then I go through life, and it happens just like he told me it would. Just like that. Why? Because he's there. He's revealing. He's disclosing. He's a real good friend, isn't he? He's a real good friend. He cares about me. He's there all the time. He's accessible. He's got all the wisdom I need. He's a real good friend, isn't he? He's right there all the time for me. I got him. He, I've just... I'm so happy I got Jesus. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm so happy I got Jesus. Oh, look, I'm living in proximity here. I'm living in proximity to Jesus. You know, in Psalm 34, verse 8, it says, The Lord is close to the broken heart and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Thank you, Jesus. I got, I got Jesus here with me. Whoa. Isn't that the best thing? And it says in Psalm 145, verse 18, the law is near to those who call and, and those who call him in truth. So he's going to be there for you. Amen. Yeah, I got Jesus. Isaiah 55 says, seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he's near. You know what? He's accessible. You can call him and he'll say, here I am. Lord Jesus, I'm calling you. And he says, here I am. Amazing. What a friend we have in Jesus. Oh, let's, oh, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. Wonderful Jesus. And he's accessible. You can get to him. Ephesians says, we have, through him, have both the access to the Father by one spirit. And Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12 says, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Oh, well, there's nothing stopping us to get near to him. Amen. I've got access to him right now. I've got, just close your eyes. Thank you, Jesus, for being here with us. You're here with us right now. Oh, we just thank you for that. And you know, when you leave this place, 
he's going to walk out with you. The accessibility is still there, amen? And the grace of God will support us through every difficult time. He's going to help us. He says, you know, my strength, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in the weakness. He's not going to run away on Monday when you hit a hard time. He's still going to be there. He's going to be there speaking to you. He's going to be breathing into your life. He's going to be revealing what he's going to do. He's going to disclose his heart to you. He's going to, you're going to feel him in the inside, leading and guiding you and giving you some direction. That's what you're going to feel because Jesus is your friend. You got him. You like it? All right. All right. Settle down. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me real good. I got Jesus. But does Jesus have you? That's the question. Now listen to me. Friendship goes both ways. It's just not one way. Otherwise, it's, you give me, give me, give me. I'm really happy about you because you give me. You're there for me to strengthen me. You're there to forgive me. You're there to make me feel good. You're there to give me encouragement. You're there to put money in my head. You're there to help me. You're there to guide me. You're there to lead me. Oh, I got Jesus. Yeah, I'm really happy about that. But does Jesus have you? Listen to me. It goes both ways. Both ways. Reciprocity. Everybody say that word. Reciprocity. <laughs> That's a ugly word, isn't it? Everybody hates that word. Do we share in his pain? Do we share in his vision? Do we share in his provision? Are we acquainted with his grief? Are we acquainted with his suffering? Do we care about what he thinks? Are we inclined toward his thoughts? Do you understand that it's not just what you need, what does he need? Because true friendship goes both ways. Now, we can celebrate and jump up and down, and they do that in many churches. They're excited about themselves and about what they get from Jesus. But let me tell you, is Jesus celebrating in heaven about what he's getting from you? Does he stand there and does he get really excited when he thinks of Liz Bamford because he knows that Liz Bamford is giving her 100% to him? That's the question. The question isn't what he's given to us. The question is, what are we given to him? That's the real question of friendship. If we don't have a friendship with God, it is not because he has let down his side of the bargain. It is because we have failed to reciprocate what he has done to us back to him. We have failed to live in reciprocity with our friend. There's been a failure in elements. We have failed to reflect back to him the great love that he has given to us. Because he loved us, we love him. We say, well, because you love me, I love being loved. Because you love me, I'm glad because I can drive my car. Because you love me, I can go through difficult times and you're there to support me. But you want me to do something for you? You know what? You know, I'm busy today. i got something on. It's not happening today. You know, you're praying for something. Ah, yeah, well, you know. There's this program on TV, Jesus. You'd understand that. 
Here's a prayer request from heaven. Here's Jesus getting upset about a problem. So he lays the problem out to his disciples. Why? Why would he lay the problem out to his disciples? Well, he's a friend, so he's disclosing something to him. He gathers his disciples around and says, you know what, guys? He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are fruit few. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers into the harvest field. You know, have you ever thought about this? This is quite an amazing statement. This is a prayer request, but it's a prayer request from heaven. It's Jesus giving the prayer request to you. Not we coming to Jesus and say, Jesus, i got a prayer request. Well, I've got quite a few prayer requests. In fact, let me, have you got some time? I've got lots of prayer requests. Jesus says, just a minute, just before you can get started, let me give you one. Pray for this, will you? This really concerns me. He says, I can look around and I can see men and women dying and going to hell every single day like this. Dying, dying, getting bound up by sin, getting going and down, then down, down they go. And he says, I'm looking for someone to save them because I've left heaven. I've come down. I'm just one person. I want to save them. And I can't find anybody who will help me do that. Can you pray? My friends, can you enter into my pain? Can you enter into my passion? Can you enter into my grief? Can you enter into my desire? Can you pray with me that the Lord would send laborers into the harvest field? Oh, that's a mission day thing, isn't it? Oh, we do that once a Sunday, once a month. Listen, folk, this is a heart's cry from our friend. Our friend Jesus is communicating through the word what is concerning him. And if we are friends of God, that would concern us. Like our problems concern him, his problems would concern us. Surely there's a reciprocity in our friendship with Jesus, or is it just one way? It's got quiet now. Why is that? Why don't we lift off the chair? <laughs> we can do something about Jesus. <laughs> Man, if I have an opportunity to help somebody, I enjoy that. I like going through life and then I see my friend who's struggling with something and I, if I've got something in my... You know, you know, the minute the Holy Spirit says, take, give, I'm mean, going to just do that. It's like I want to do that. I want to help my friend. It just pours out of me. I just want to do that. Or if he says, don't do it, I say, okay, don't. It just, it just comes out of me to do that. When my friend is in need, because I love my friend, I want to help my friend. Jesus is my friend. And he's in need. Oh, he's God. He doesn't need anything, doesn't he? Well, why did he give us a prayer request? Why do we have a prayer request from heaven if he didn't need anything? I know that he's all-sufficient. I know that he is outside and he doesn't need anything from man. And I know he can use, he'll always find somebody else. But you know what? He asked me to pray. That makes a difference. God who created the heavens and the earth with his word used his words to speak into the scripture and used his word to speak into my heart and said, you know what? There's a great need out there. I need people. Will you pray that God will send people into the laborers into the harvest field that the laborer would be... Jesus, help me to get acquainted with you. I mean, now you are so acquainted to me. Help me to get acquainted with you. Help me to know you, how to feel you, how to know what how I can do for you. Help me to walk with you. Help me to be a friend to you, Jesus. 
You are my friend, but I want to be a friend to you. Share with me. Okay, we're going to read Luke. Liz is going to come and read Luke chapter 14, verses 15 to 24, because I like Luke and I like Liz's reading. Number two. So she'll read and I'll stop it when I want to chat. Okay. Okay, so you can hear me? Yep. So this is the parable of the Great Supper. Then he said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. Just hang on there. Remember we, we talked last week about a, a passage of scripture in Revelation chapter tw- 3 verse 20? He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you open the door, I will come in and, I'll come in and sup. sup. Have a meal with you. Have a meal with you. So here we have Father throwing us a party. He's throwing a meal so Jesus is saying to us, come and sup with me. You want to sup with Jesus? Oh, put your hand up if you want to sup with Jesus. Do you? Okay, read on. Verse 17. And sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. <gasps> Stop. These were his friends. He had put a table on and said, I have prepared a table for you. Come and sup with me. Now the table meant that you had to get up and you had to go somewhere and do something to get somewhere where he was going to pour out lavish things upon you again. I mean, this was outrageous grace. He's just saying to you, I've prepared a table. He says, come on, my friends, just get up and come. I'm gonna, I want to bless you some more. Come to the supper with me. And you know what? He's, he didn't find friendship with his friends. He was a good friend. He had prepared the table. He spent the money. He put it, the food on the table. He cooked. He would made the banquet ready. He put it all there waiting for you. He says, I'm ready. I've made it ready. I've come and sup with me. The cost has been paid for. The tables are set. The ornation is up around the place. The music is playing. Come and sup with me. But was his friend a friend? The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. Wait a minute. (laughs) That's ridiculous. Do you know how ridiculous that is? I have bought a block of ground. I must go and see it. Do you know how ridiculous that is? It's because you wouldn't buy a block of land unless you'd seen it first. It might be underwater. So you go and check to see whether it's underwater before you buy it. You'd look and you'd walk around the land and you'd say, you know, I like this land. I think this land is good. I think I'll go and buy it. So once you bought the land, you don't need to go back and see it because you already looked at it when you bought it. It's just a rubbish, ridiculous excuse because I don't want to be a friend to the man who's poured out everything at a table for me. Think about that. Second. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, 
I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to test them. <laughs> Everybody say ridiculous. ridiculous. I mean, start with passion. Ridiculous. ridiculous. How many of you will go and buy a car before you drive it? You go and test drive the car. You get in the seat and he says, just go around the block. Please don't put your foot too hard on the accelerator. We know it can go. Vroom, vroom. You, just go you just go around the corner. It's got some juice. Hey, you go around and you see the window goes up and goes down. You know, it's like, yeah, it blows. Yeah, it blows. You know, smells new. Sounds very nice. You know, you look at the colours right. Yeah, my wife will like that. Ah, it's leather upholstery. You have looked. You have driven. You know what it feels like. Back then it was oxen. Now it's cars. Back then it was a tractor. No, back then it was oxen. Now it's tractors. It's machinery. It's stuff. You don't buy that stuff without first trying that stuff. So it's ridiculous to, to use that as an excuse and say, you know what, I've got some oxen here now. I think I'm going to have to try them out. That's rubbish. It's just an excuse for you not to be a friend. Ooh, I'm quiet now. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Why is that? I mean, you have plenty of nights of the week to go and find your wife and play with your wife. Why can't you spare one night of the week to be with your friend? I have a wife, therefore I can't. Why is that? That's ridiculous. Your wife is going to be there with you for every other day and every other night. Your friend is saying, come to the banquet, bring your wife along. Let's have a party. And you're saying, no, we just want to stay at home, you know. (laughs) Get real. Your friendship means more than that. You know, I don't know. Just just pass this one by. Sometimes when people get married, they drop out of church life. You know why they drop out of church life? Because I have a wife. Because I have a husband. What does that mean? I don't know what it means. It just means, well, we're at home together. And when we're at home together, we're not at church. We're together. Listen to me. That is no excuse. Bring your partner to church. Bring your wife to church. Be involved with God with your wife. Don't use your relationship that God has given you to take you away from your friendship with God. Why would you do that? You might not have that friendship in a year or two's time if you take God out of that relationship. The closer you two get to God, the closer you get to each other. You take God out of the mix, you'll drift apart as sure as eggs are eggs and you may not be married in five years' time. Don't use that excuse. I'm married. I have a wife. I can't come to the table. It doesn't wash with God. God is not impressed by you buying a piece of land and having going to see it. He's not impressed by you buying some oxygen, oxen and having to go and use them. He's not impressed by the fact that you just got married and you can't be there. That doesn't wash with God. He's your friend. He's your forever buddy. He's the one who poured out his lifeblood for you to save you. He's the one who's there for you at every beck and call through every second of the day. He's the one who will quicken you and strengthen you. And you're telling him, just hold on there. I've got something else that's more important than you. We've got a problem. We've got a problem here. 
because he's a really good friend to us, but somehow along the way, we're just making excuses to live halfway in our commitment to him where he's given it all to us. There's a problem here, NASA. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. See, that is the heart of God, eh? He's angry. He hasn't stopped being generous. He hasn't stopped being outrageously gracious. But he's just added into it now anger. And he's angry because he thought that you were his friend. He thought that we had a friendship happening here. And so when he asked you to get involved with his thing, not to be self, so, so self-centered about your thing, but he asked you to share in his thing, you said to him, you know what? There's a level to our limit to our friendship. You know, if one of those elements is missing, that friendship will not last. If one of those elements is missing, you'll end up with an acquaintance, but you won't have a close friendship. If one of those elements is missing, like reciprocity, you won't have a friendship with God because God will turn to you and say, my friend, let's work together in partnership in the field. Let's fellowship together in the work that is so important to me. And you'll find that he'll, and you'll find that you say, you know, well, not today. I'm too busy chasing the dollar. I'm too just busy chasing my relationships. I'm too busy driving my flash new car. I can't come to your prayer meeting. I can't come to where you are. I'm not interested in having supper with you because I've got other things on my plate. You'll find that you won't have a friendship. You'll just have an acquaintance and you'll have a form of godliness but not the power of it this is a joint thing it goes both ways my friends it hits both ways you celebrate Jesus yay does he celebrate you I have no one like my my friend Job hmm And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Now that's just a nasty piece of work there, right there. You You know what it says? Just right there. You know, you know what he just said? He says, if you don't play this close friendship both ways, he says, I'm not playing with you at all. That's the termination of our relationship. You know what? We've got to get out of this deception that says that God is Father Christmas in the sky that's going to pour out blessings for us every day we yell and scream. And then when he asks us to do something, no, it's not Mark asking you to do it. When the Holy Spirit asks you to do something, you say, oh, no, I don't think I'll do that. To think that you can still be a friend of God when you've been a bit. He says, those who love me and obey me, they I will come and live with and dwell with, he says. Yeah, 
The obedience is this reciprocity. It's this, what do you want me to do? Dad, yeah, I'll do this for you. You know, I, you're, look, if, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have a life to live. You're the reason I'm breathing. If you had taken my, your grace away from me, I wouldn't be breathing now. I wouldn't be going. Anywhere. You know, you, my life is your life. Whatever you want me to do, that's what I'll do. I'll be where you want me to be. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll think what you want me to think. You gave it all for me, so I'm going to give it back to you now. Reciprocity. Say it with me. Reciprocity. Reciprocity. Yeah. Say that word again. Reciprocity. If there is one element missing, don't deceive yourself to think that you are still God's friend. Because you're not God's friend. He may be friendly to you, but you are not God's friend. Does God really want me to be his friend? Oh, surely there's many people here in the room that can get up in the morning and pray for somebody. Oh, Mark will do it. Mark will do it. Or Pastor Jerome will do it. Oh, I know Liz will do that. Or somebody else will do it. You know, most churches, 20% of people do all the work that everybody should be doing. And the scripture tells us that in, in, in Ephesians it says that every part should do its job. And if everybody does its job, then the whole body will build up in love. If we all got together and we all did our part and we all lived for Jesus, this place wouldn't hold what Jesus could do. Except only 20% of people are doing because the rest of them are playing. Jesus is my friend, but I'm not his. First Chronicles chapter 16 verse 9 says, The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. What does that mean? It means he's looking. He's looking for that full commitment. What's the commitment? It's whatever you want me to do, Jesus, I'll do it for you. I don't care what it takes. If it kills me, I'll do it for you. I just want to be your friend, God. I don't want you just to be my friend. I want to be your friend, Jesus. I want you to be able to say, I can, I can trust in Mark. I can put my weight on Mark because I know that he will, he's, a, he's a man after my own heart. Like David is a man after my own heart. I can trust him because he's got my heart. He knows me. He knows me and I know him. And, and he's like Job. I, he won't quit on me. He won't quit on me. I can trust him. I can brag about him. I can trust him. He won't quit. Friends, God is looking. He's searching the world, looking for those who are committed to them so he could be strong for them. You know, it's going to take more than I can take. It's going to take more than I can give. It's going to take more than I can handle. Is it? Is it going to take more? But guess what? He who lives within you is stronger than anything and he can give you more than you can even... He can give it all to you to do the work. You know, when you go to the banquet, the banquet's laid on by him and he gives you the strength that you need for it anyway. So, you know, you can take it on. You can say, Lord Jesus, let me do that for you. And, you know, he'll give you the strength to do it. He'll give you a second win and a third win and a fourth win and you'll get up and you'll have the energy to do it. You'll do all things through his power that strengthens you. You don't have to sit there and say, I don't have the energy to do that. He'll give you the energy. Just commit yourself to do it. I don't have the wisdom to just, he'll give you the wisdom, just commit yourself to do it. I don't have the finance, just do it. He'll provide the finances. The end of the exercise is he just wants to see your heart. He's ready, watching, looking for you to show himself strong to those who are fully committed. Isaiah chapter 50 verse 2 says, Why, when I came, was there no one? No man, no woman. Why, when I came, was there no one? And then he looks at himself, why, when I called, was there no one to answer? 
So this is the heart of God. He's saying, why is there no one? Why is there no one to answer? He's he's crying out, why is this so? He says, is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem? He says, well, do I have have no power to to deliver? Indeed, with my rebuke, I dried up the sea. You know, can't you remember what I did when I parted the waters, provided quails in the wilderness, manna from heaven, spit the rock open and poured water out. Don't you see that I, I provide everything that you need for life and godliness through me? He said, can't you see that I am the one? Is there something wrong with my ability to supply, says God? Is that why you are balking on committing? Because I'm not going to provide. No, Jesus, we know that you're good at providing. In Isaiah 63, it says, I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled that no one gave support. So my own arm achieved salvation for me and my own wrath sustained me. Don't worry, I'll do it myself. You heard those words? How do you feel when somebody says, ask you for something? He says, don't worry, I'll do it myself. Can you give me a hand? No, no, I can't do it. Oh, don't worry, I'll do it myself. How does it make you feel? This is the divine. Don't worry, I'll do it myself. This is Jesus saying, don't worry, I'll do it myself. I can do it myself. It was a privilege for you to be asked to get involved. You don't want to get involved? Well, you missed out on the privilege. It was a privilege to come and walk with me. Because he who walks with me, talks with me, and shares with me in my blessing. Friends. Ezekiel 22 verse 30 says, And I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. And I say these words, found no one. And I say it with me, found no one. Say it again. And I found no one. He says, I was looking for somebody to stand in the gap, to intercede for people who are going to be destroyed. I looked and said, is there anyone who cares about what I care for? I need somebody to stand in the gap to save. And I can find no one. Isaiah heard it in Isaiah chapter 6. I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Everybody say that. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah standing there, saw this thing. He says, Lord, here am I. Send me. Lord, here am I. Send me. Can you hear the cry of God's heart today? He's been such a good friend to us. And now he cries out, Who can I send? Who will go for us? Bow your heads. Jesus, you have found us again. You know where we live. And Lord, your heart is for us. Your plans are for us. The table has been prepared and you are calling us to come and sup with you. Last week, you knocked on the door and said, 
Let me come in and I will suffer. You have now prepared a table in the presence of our enemies. Lord Jesus, it's all set out and you're calling us now to come and suffer. Jesus. Jesus. Thank you for being a good friend to us. Now help us to respond with friendship to you, we pray. In Jesus' name. Have you as you have your head as you have your heads bowed and your eyes closed, you will have felt in your spirit a challenge by the Holy Spirit communicating to you that he wants some change in your attitude with regard to friendship with him. I don't know what that is going to mean on a day-to-day basis, but he does and he's there. But I, wanna, I want you to respond to him this morning and say, Lord Jesus, I got you. I want to respond to you now and say, I'm willing. You just put your hand up and say, I'm willing. Jesus, whatever you want me to do, I'm gonna, I'll be there for you, Jesus. I want to be there for you. You're looking for someone who's committed. I'm asking now, see my heart. I'm committed, Lord Jesus. I'll do it. Help me not to make excuses, Lord Jesus, I pray. Father, you see those hands that have indicated. And Lord, you have some people here who said that they can be found by you. Lord Jesus, find them and speak to them, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.